listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Today, I want to look at a relationship that every single one of us are in, regardless of how old you are, whether you're single Married, children, no children, empty nested, it doesn't matter. But every single one of us are a part of a family. Now, some of us have large families, some are small. Some of you are in very, very close families, and others are a little more distant. Some of you might live right across the street from your family. Some of you might live across the country. Every time I go into someone's house, you'll, you'll find me. If you've invited me over, you've probably seen me do it. I love to walk around and look at the pictures. Uh, I've always been a people watcher, but you, can, you just learn so much about people by their pictures. In fact, you could, I've got some pictures of some families. You know, there are some families that are really, really close. You know, there's just something about them, and they're just well connected. Some families are not so close. For some reason or another, they are just not as close to each other as we might like them. Some families, if you ever know, some families look a lot alike. You know, there's just something about being together, and they look a lot alike. Some families are really large, and that's okay, but some just, they're just big families. Some families, they share in things in common, like there might be a family that loves the color pink, and for some reason, they just do, or I have even known families that have a fascination with pork and beans, and uh, some families just do. Some families have a strange fetish for maybe Star Trek, and it just seems that you're there in that family, and you can't help, but you're just a Trekkie. Some even love tin soldiers. For some reason, there's families that, that would like to do that. Now, I'm with this family. There's some families that love bacon. And I would be all about that family, some a little more than others. Some even share musical interests, like go back to the 70s in the group Kiss. You know, but you grow up in a family, and it's just what you're exposed to. You're knitted together. Some families love animals. You know, they just, the more animals, the better. Some families, nothing gets by them. They are aware of every single thing that is going on around them. And there are other families that are a lot less aware. You know, there's just things that happen, and they have no idea it's going on. Some families, you know, they get along. Sometimes my family does. But you know what? The honest truth is sometimes families do hurt, and it, it happens sometimes. Families can bring you a lot of joy, and they can also bring a lot of pain. But you know, that's just what family is. And some of us here today, we come from some great families that you get along with maybe most of the time. But sad time is, others of us have families that are not close and you have suffered many painful wounds. Some of us come from families that are healthy and sadly, some come from families that are very dysfunctional. But regardless of your family, we all have some things in common. In fact, we can all and I, I love how Chris set this up, that, 
there's a family that we can all belong to. And what he mentioned to today, what we're going to talk about is there is a family that goes by the name of Christ Church. In fact, the church in Scripture, if you were to flip through those wonderful pages, you would see images of the church in so many ways. It's described as a building and a temple, a body, a bride, a lampstand. And every single image of the church communicates something different and something unique about Christ's church. But today we're going to see the church described as a family. And a family is something that we can all relate to, even as great as it is or as dysfunctional it might be, as small as it is or how close it might be or how distant, that we can all relate to this idea of a family. Because family's special. Families have this bond and this love that's unique. And families are those that you are closest to. Your family, it might be a very traditional family with a mom and a dad and brothers and sisters, but your family, maybe it was created a little bit different. Maybe your family, those that you are closest to, was really created by grandparents or maybe aunts and uncles. Your family could have even been from another family that reached out to you, that loved you as if you were one of them. Maybe it happened when you were in high school or a neighbor just loved you in a unique way or you went off to college and this family in some way adopted you and made you feel like you were a part of them. But family are those that you are closest to. And that's because families, they share moments of extreme joy and even sadness. Families are built and they are bond together because we show love by spending time going on trips, as many of us will be this summer. We show love by exchanging gifts in these special moments of life. But what happens is that really in a family, you are inviting people, whether you realize or not, you're inviting people into your life. They can offer help and care as, as we learn to support each other on this journey. Family are those that really, hopefully, that you love with a love that sometimes is hard to describe. And as you think about maybe those people you're closest to, those people that have loved you and you've gone through those difficult moments with, I want us to think about those that have enriched your life. And what we know and we believe is that God created that family. Whether traditional or untraditional, God did this and He has a unique purpose as He does for the church and the family and He connects them. I mean, God created a world, a world of beauty and perfection and a world of completeness, a world that was in perfect harmony. And at the center of his creation, he placed his most prized creation, man and woman. And the world, I mean, it was theirs to enjoy and to grow and to keep. But we know that it was short-lived. And God has given his most beloved couple an entire garden as a gift. A world at their fingertips. But through sin and rebellion, everything changed. But I want to ask a question. I want us to think about for those that you love the most, those that are closest to you, that you have a unique bond. If money wasn't an issue and time wasn't a restraint, what would you do to show them how much they mean to you? 
If money was no object and time was no factor, what would you do to show those that you love how much they mean to you? So with that in mind, I want us to go to 1 John chapter 2, beginning of verse 28. We're going to look at a few verses at the end of 2 into 3, and this idea of church as family. And this is how verse 28 begins. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears... We may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. And here's what's, it's hard to jump into a book. And you know, that's why we love to start at the beginning of a book and walk through. We can all really grasp the context and what's going on. But here's what's happening is John is writing and he's going to spend a, a, a couple of chapters before this once again battling false teachers. And that is something that is very common in the New Testament writings. And false teachers, they were coming into the church and they were trying to lead people astray. And this false teaching was coming in and leading people to deny that Jesus was actually the Messiah. Good man, good teacher, that's all well and good. But the Messiah, that's, that's where you've got it wrong. And so John challenges his readers... And I believe it's, it applies to us today in order to stand against false teaching. Listen, it is out there uh, as it's always been. You can't turn on the news or your radio and there is something trying to come at you that wants to convince you that it's truth. And John says in order to stand up against any false teaching, any false belief, to be led astray that we must, and the word is there, abide. He says this is the key. The word abide, it... It's one that we don't use much. However, John uses it 66 times, 23, just in 1 John. And what we see is that John really believes that this is the key. He believes that, John, this is something, if you sit down with coffee with him, you would hear him talk about what it means to abide. And abide means to remain with or to stick with someone. And so he says, if you want to stand up against false teaching, if you want to make sure you're not led astray, you need to make sure that you are connecting, you are with, you are remaining in Christ. And listen, that's all well and good to sit here on a Sunday morning and say this when things are going well. You know, there will be times, if you haven't already, there will be times where it isn't easy to believe the things that we read about you know, Chris was talking about that. There are times that we're going to question his goodness and his faithfulness. And it doesn't matter how we feel about it, but, but our emotions are a part of it. And man, our minds will begin telling us that he doesn't care. He's not really there. He doesn't care. He doesn't hear you. We need to fight against false teachings, those beliefs that are coming at us by abiding us, staying connected, of staying connected to Jesus himself. And then John gives the reason you know, we know that a person becomes a Christian, being a part of God's family. It is only by believing and trusting what Jesus Christ did. And John reminds all of us that we are then to continue to abide, that the journey doesn't stop when that, when that moment of justification happens. It's a lifelong journey. But John reminds us all that we are to continue to abide in Jesus so that when He does appear, he talks about that we'll have a confidence and be unashamed. Because John knows there's going to be two reactions one day. Whether it's we're called home or that trumpet sounds and those heavens open. 
It'll either be a confidence and a boldness of finally, my king is here. Or there will be some of us that shrink and are ashamed. Now, no, no, the closest thing I could think of is that moment that when maybe you were a kid or you've got kids and they're old enough maybe to stay by themselves for a while and you tell them, okay, I'm going to go. But before I get back, these are the things you need to do. You come back and that child has done those things. Man, they're excited to see you. They want you to see, look, I obeyed. I did what you called me to do. I did what you laid before me. And I hope I did well enough job that you are pleased in what I did. Or it's they got distracted and they begin playing. And all of a sudden they hear the garage door opening. And there's that sense of shame, that shrinking that happens. Oh, no, they're here. But how often do we really stop and think? I mean, do we honestly believe that one day, and that day could be today, it could actually be tomorrow that Jesus would actually return? And if we honestly believe that, then our lives should reflect that is our reality, that any moment our king could return to call his bride home. That one day, and that day could be today, it could be tomorrow. In the meantime, we are to abide, we're to remain, we're to stick with Jesus. Because look at verse 29. And if you know that he is righteous, that he is perfect, he is who he is supposed to be, we may be sure that everyone, anyone who practices righteousness has been born again. And there's this litmus test. that He reminds us that Christians are those that have been born again. So do you know what makes you a Christian? What makes us a Christian is that we have been born again. It cannot happen if that doesn't come first. We have to be born again so we can then know and receive the truth of the gospel. And then we have that experience of that new birth in Christ. And we're to then demonstrate that to those in the family that we now belong to. So hear me on this. You and I, we could never do enough good deeds. We, we could never show enough kindness. We could never give enough money. We can never help enough people that we would ever make us entitled to an eternity of blessing with God. There's not, I, I could never, we could never do enough even collectively. It is only if we have been born again. So John's going to now remind us of the beauty of of this new birth. So he says, you want to stand up against false teaching, you need to abide in Jesus, and don't forget how that happens. It happens when you are born again. So flip to chapter 3, look at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we shall be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. So God's, God's plan of salvation, it begins out of a place of love. And God's love, it, it is a love that does not stop at just the new birth. In fact, God has a love that comes to people who are dead in their sin, who were enemies of His, not His children, and He makes us alive. And this, this right here is why the church is a family is so important for us to be reminded of. That God actually went beyond the love of rescue 
He went beyond a love of sacrifice for people that were not even wanting to be saved, but they, we stood as enemies of His. And God shows us a kind of love that goes beyond anything we could ever imagine. In fact, you know what God could have done? God could have rescued us. He could have even sacrificed for us. He could have forgiven us. And He could have stopped right there. But instead, He shows us even a different, a more kind of love. In fact, He takes us and He not only rescues us, He not only sacrifices for us, He not only forgives us, but He makes us a part of His family. He made us so that we could be called His children. And we don't need to take this for granted because first of all, He might, he might not have even saved us at all. He, he wasn't obligated to do anything. He could have said, you know what? Enemies don't deserve to be saved. And he would have been exactly correct. In fact, he could have said, you know what? My son, he is, so, he is too precious to sacrifice for ungodly, rebellious humans. Or he could have said, you know what? I'll save them from hell. I'll save them from that. I'll even forgive their sins. I'll even give them eternal life. But it has to be on another planet. And there is nothing that will require God to do anything else. But God goes beyond a redeeming. He goes beyond forgiving. He even goes beyond rescuing. He goes beyond healing to an extreme kind of love that's actually an adopting love. A love that will settle for nothing less than making us His children, a member of His family. In fact, it's a love that brings us all the way home. And yes, it takes all of those steps, but he was not going to be satisfied. He was not going to stop until we were a part of his family. And for me, at times, this is hard to grasp because we live in, in such an entitlement age. We live in an area and a time, it seems like, and I see it in my own life, I see it in my kids, I see it every time I turn on some sort of media, that there is such a sense of entitlement that you owe me. In fact, I think we need to be careful that we don't jump in and believe that we begin deserving too much. But I think a better perspective that I've tried to be reminding myself of is one by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this, If God had said to me, Martin, you may go to heaven, but only if you agree to sweep the streets of glory. Man, I would have said, where is the broom, Lord? If he'd have said, may I go to heaven, but only if you agree to polish the pearly gates, I would have looked at him and said, Lord, where is the wax? If he'd have said, you can go to heaven, but only if you agree to wash the wing of angels, I would have gladly said, where is the soap? But praise the Lord, I'm not going as a slave, but I'm going as a son. And you see, there's a difference that happens. There's a difference that John is showing between the world and God's family. You know, an unbeliever who sins is actually a creature that is sinning against his creator. We were all probably there. But a Christian, a Christian who sins as a child, sinning against his father. An unbeliever sins against law. But one in Christ that's been born again, it sins against love. And that new birth that we experience, it guarantees that one day we will be face to face with our Father, our Lord, and our King. But the great news is not as servants, 
are slaves, but we get to be heirs with Jesus. And what is hard, though, is that we often lose sight of this, and we can easily start to forget that this world, this world that we are in, it's actually not our home. Man, so many times that thought comes across my mind, and I go, you're right. Man, I spent so much time and energy into the things that, that bring me certain things, chasing after certain things, but so often I have to stop to say, listen, those things can be good things, but don't ever forget this world is not your home. One day it's all going to pass away, and all the things I've accumulated, all the, the plaques I could put on the wall, all the accommodations that I have chased after, they will simply fade away. But John reminds us in these next two verses that we are children of God and the best is yet to come. Look at verses 2 and 3. Beloved, meaning those I love dearly, he says, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. There's a reality that there's something that is coming. Even though it's true, we do not fully realize it. But we know, we believe that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who trusts and hopes in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. And the truth is, is that when the new birth happens in our lives, at that moment, boom, we are called children of God. And we, at that moment, are a part of God's family. We did nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it, and nothing can take that away. But this world doesn't allow us to fully experience that reality. But our hope, he says, is grounded on the promise that Jesus is returning for his children. And when he does, it says, you we will be like Him. And what a great picture for us. Because I don't know if you often feel like a total work in progress. Because it seems like the days that I think, man, look at, look at how far I've come in my sanctification. I'm just, I'm such a joy to be around. And then you're reminded just around the corner that no. You have such a long way to go, but isn't it a reassuring thought that God doesn't see you as you are. He sees you as you will be. Because He knows what He's doing. He knows that He is doing a work in you, and He will not stop until it's completed. It's like the statue of David that Michelangelo did. He once bought this great lump of marble. Of course, he couldn't lift it himself, and so he had a helper with him. And this marble was laid out in front of him. Michelangelo looked at him, and he said, what do you, what do you see? His helper looked at him and said, they, I, I don't know what you see, Michelangelo. Michelangelo looked at him and said, you know what? I see the statue of David. The helper looked at him and said, you see what? He says, I see the statue of David because I'm not seeing what you see. I'm seeing what it shall be. And that's how God sees you, as messed up and, and as sinful and as rebellious and as selfish as we are. He sees us as we shall be. And the truth is that one day you will be like His Son. We're all a work in progress. In fact, our only hope, our only hope is that Jesus is returning to call His children home. That's the only hope we have. 
And we will see Jesus in his glorious state of perfection, his beauty, his holiness. And for some reason, God says, we will be like him. In all of this, all of this truth, the hope that we have is the great thing for me is that it's not grounded in my performance as his child. That truth, that hope is grounded in his love for us. Because if it's based on our performances as children, we're beyond hope. But since it's based on his love for us, we can rest assured that it is true and it will happen. And what happens? I think the more I begin to grasp this, of really how much God loves me, and yes, I need to strive for greatness because of what he has done, but knowing it isn't set on anything that I do, it isn't based on my performance, it makes me reach out to grasp a hold of the love that he does have for me. So the moments that I fail as a husband, or a father, as a leader, as a pastor, I've got to be reminded that, you know what, it isn't based on my performance. It's based on his love for me. And we grasp that, man, we see this. Then we really begin to live the life that he calls us to a Christ-sitterness. That love really is, in fact, the greatest motive in the world. And as we understand God's love, that we then, and then we want to obey His Word. You know, so if you're here today, and um, man, you hear these things that we talk about this man, Jesus, and what He has done. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Him, our prayer every single week is that people would come in the presence of God's people, and they would meet Him. But for those of us that we say, no, I am a child of the king. I am one that you've talked about. Man, I hope that we're motivated and we're driven by God's love to live lives that are pure, that are live lives that are Christ-centered. Because we need moments like this that when we come, because the weak will beat you up and chew you up and spit you out, that we need moments where we come together And we just remind each other with our voices. We remind each other by our service. We remind each other by opening God's word that we are loved. And not based on our performance, but we are loved based on his love for us. And then he gives us this picture of the church as a family. You know, I live in a family. I live as a husband. I live as a dad. But I know one day that that day will pass, that I'm no longer in those roles. And in the Jewish family, I mean, the home was the safest, the most secure, the most comfortable place you could be in. A family took care of each other. A family loved each other. A family taught, and they provided for each other. But the truth is, is one day that family will pass away. But the reality is that that means that we're a part of a different family, one that is eternal. And that we get to now, what we get to do, we get to practice what that's going to be like. We get to be around people that are different than we are. We got to to be around people with different gifts and different likes and dislikes. And we get to be around people. We get to learn what it means to love one another as God's family. But I began this morning by asking you, if money was no limit and, and time was no factor, What would you do? What would you give to those to show them how much you love them, those in your family? But think about this. 
Jesus has always been and will forever be. He's always existed in heaven in perfect relationship with the Trinity. Him and the Spirit always got along. Him and the Father always see eye to eye. And Jesus had everything that he could possibly want. He had honor, perfection. I mean, there was not a want or a need that Jesus didn't have. Well, then what is it? What was it that would cause him to give all of that up and not to come to a place that was going to welcome him and give him a seat of honor, but instead was going to take him to a cross in complete humiliation? Well, there's only one thing. There's only one thing that Jesus did not have, and that was his church. The only thing Jesus did not have was you and me. And Jesus gave all of heaven up. In fact, he gave up his place of honor. He gave up his place of perfection. He even gave up his relationship with his Father on the cross. He gave up every privilege he had because of his love for his church, his family. And one day, Jesus will give an incredible display of his love for his family. In fact, we read about it in Romans chapter 8, verse 21, and it says that all of creation itself, it's going to be set free from its bondage of corruption to obtain a freedom of the glory of the children of God. I mean, just, just allow your mind to try to grasp this, that our planet is in a small part of the solar system that they estimate is 7.3 billion miles across. This solar system, it, it's, a, it's a small little speck in this galaxy that we call the Milky Way, which is 80,000 light years across. The light year is how far light travels in that year, and light travels at 186 miles per second. So our galaxy is 480 trillion miles across. The nearest star, it would take you 4.3 years to get there traveling at the speed of light. Your closest neighbor, it would take you 2.2 million years to get there at the speed of light. And one day, all of creation will be set free. And it will be set free for God's children. God will finally set his creation free of bondage and corruption. And he tells us it's for your glory and your enjoyment because he loves you. That the first family, man, they lost their enjoyment. They lost their beauty and the pleasure of the garden. But God through his love will one day restore all of his children. Not just the garden but all of creation. And that is how much you are loved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a day to be reminded. A week filled with a lot of different things. And I would even say a lot of distractions. Summer hits and our schedules change and oftentimes we can simply lose focus about what really is most important. 
And so, Father, I do pray that if there is anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they meet you. And for those of us that would proclaim to be followers of you, that would proclaim to be those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we could be reminded, that we could be assured of how much you do love us. And we say thank you for not basing your love and acceptance of us based on our performance. Because we could never measure up. We say thank you for grounding it in your love for us. And then may we live that reality out before each other as your church. And Father, I thank you for my family. I thank you for the blessing of a godly wife and children. And I thank you for the blessing of this family that we call Bethel Bible Church. Father, we are not a perfect church. But Father, we are people that want to love you with all that we have. But we cannot do it without you. So it is in your son's name. And by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.